listeners, and welcome to the latest edition of the Unions 21 podcast. I'm Simon Sapper, and with me is... Becky Wright, the Director of Unions 21. And you're very welcome out there in listener land. We've got a good programme coming up for you uh, today. In a little while, we're going to be talking to Philippa Newis, who is ACAS's expert on pay audits and the gender pay gap and equal pay and all the rest of it. Uh, key, key listing that. But before we do that, let's let's kind of start with a roundup of, of the week's news from, from Union Land, as it were. And last time we were with you, we were talking about uh, Harvey Weinstein, rat bag, extraordinaire, uh, just a personal view. Uh, opinion, of course, not litigatable. Uh, I don't know. I think we can very much say that's the views of Union's 21, Simon, uh, uh, and no one's going to take issue with that. Well, I'm, I'm with you on that, Becky. But, but I mean, from, from Weinstein to Westminster, what a surprise, eh? And what a surprise that there are some sleazebags and, and people who behave in an entirely inappropriate way in the Palace of Westminster. And I think for me, the standout thing has come that, that, that actually the Unite Parliamentary Staffs Branch, which represents parliamentary researchers, has been banging its head against a brick wall, that brick wall being IPSA, the Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority, about union recognition. Uh, the line goes, we're not going to recognise you because actually each MP is, is a, a singleton employer on their own. Uh, there are 650 bargaining units in the Commons alone, not a, a collective one. And I just think it goes to the point you were making, Becky, last time we were together, that if you have a collective voice in the yeah. workplace, yeah. you have a far better chance of stamping out and preventing some of these these behaviours. Yeah, no, I mean, I just... Firstly, I, I wanted to start off by saying that I was so not surprised by the, the Westminster story that, that came up. I've never worked in Westminster. I've not really been drawn to that particular type of, of world uh, as, a, as a job. But even when I have been to Westminster for work... There's a feel in that place that's just quite you. It, it is you, unique because it, it's almost like the the history. It, it kind of comes out of the walls, and the the, the way in which it just hasn't moved on um, in terms of the ways of working. Just the whole thing does not surprise me. Simon, you mentioned the unite. Um, attempts to get union recognition for uh, parliamentary aides there and I think it's also worth um, giving a shout out almost to the other unions that are in parliament uh, Parliament. because I I mean in a in a past life when I, I did some training for one of the unions that's represented in Parliament. And uh I, I think actually we might do a bit more on, on this, but you know it Sometimes people say, well, where are unions? What have they been doing? It's not really been, you know, nothing's really been achieved. And uh, I was talking to the chair of the staff side of the parliamentary uh, unions a couple of years ago, where he had said to me that they, I think they just put in in place the process to... putting grievances around Mm -hmm. MPs behaviour because it's not just the way in which the MPs behave towards their staff it's also the way in which the MPs behave towards the other parliamentary staff that's in the Houses of Parliament and the Palace of Westminster Um, and he said it was literally like pulling uh, blood out from a stone in terms of getting uh, of unpicking the whole idea of how do you discipline an MP and and who does that and and how it works and 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 how the unions there had been had tried really hard to, to highlight this as an issue and to put it on the table and to do something about it recognizing that it wasn't didn't just affect um 
uh, women, which is one of the things as well that's coming out within mm. the allegations and mm-hmm. discussions here. Um, you know, it's almost a thing that seems to be happening to young staffers, but not exclusively. Um, and, and just how hard it's been been for them to kind of do that. And, um, you know, all credit to those unions that, that had tried and have been trying to, to make some changes in these workplaces. And all credit to, all credit to the MPs who are, who are, who are the, good, the good guys, the good men and, men and women as well. And it'd be wrong to tar everyone with the same brush. But, for, I mean, for heaven's sake, you know, after the expenses scandal... You, you know, hello, Palace of Westminster people. Hello, those, those in charge. Whether you like it or not, you are role models. What you do, how you are perceived, sets a tone for the rest of the country. People still look to Britain, the mother of parliaments and all, all, all that stuff. You have a huge responsibility. And, and frankly, if you're not able to identify what that is and you're not able to live up to it, you're in the wrong job. You're in the wrong place. Um, there we are. I'm, well, I'm telling people what to do, but but, but, well, I mean, but it, it's a big it's a big issue. It's it, it, you know it, it's not just it's not just that people get stressed and bullied and, and have real you know bad consequences as a result of wrong headed abusive behaviour. It's actually this has a wider resonance as well. Well, I mean the TUC actually did a report uh, last year on sexual harassment. Um, was it just a bit of banter, I think it was called? And in that, it's just more than half of the women in the workplace had experienced some form of sexual harassment at work. That is a huge problem. And that is then not just about an industry or a particular place or a particular person. It is about the way in which we experience work and what is seen to be acceptable and unacceptable. And it, to me, it kind of talks to a wider systemic problem around the value of, of, of all of us in work and how we're kind of um, treated. Uh, Francis has got uh, a... Francis O'Grady's got an article in The Guardian today which talks a bit more about this. And I, I just wanted to um, pick up one of the things that, that she said. It's, it's not good enough to rely on, on WhatsApp groups or secret spreadsheets. The government should be gathering its own data and making fully informed policy decisions. And, and I just think that that is the key to all of this. It's not, you know, we can share stories and we can say, oh, don't go over to that, you know, don't go and talk to that person because, you know, you'll end up in a different corner or it'll all be a bit funny. Actually, at some point, we've got to turn around and say this isn't right. And the best way of doing that, to repeat myself from last year, I think, uh, last week, sorry, is, I think, as a collective uh, and, and to kind of deal with this en masse and to sort of say look this is a cultural this is a systemic problem and it's going to take more than one person it's going to take all of us to try and change that i, I think so i mean I, I, you you could say that the period we're in at the moment where there's the where this has been unleashed an energy uh, uh, an anger uh, a strength has been unleashed by the Weinstein, the people who have been brave enough to come out against, against Weinstein and the fact that things rumble on and on and, uh, 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 and on each each revelation adding emphasis and weight to, to, to the one that's gone before it. Perhaps this is, as some people have said, the beginning of the end of the patriarchy. You know, I, mean, I, we, we, you know, we I would love that, but I'm not entirely sure that's going to happen. But yet, yet there's, there's, there's something different, isn't there? When, when, let's just take a little issue, and we're getting way off union stuff now, apart from the fact that unions are part of society and it's all linked together and all the rest of it. But, but, but Adam Sandler and his, his hand that spent far, far too much time on Claire Foy's knee during a, a TV chat show last week. And, you know, he's been called out for that and there's been all sorts of questions and that's been dissected and, and described and raised and all the rest of it. That, that is, that, you know, some people might say, well, that, you know, it's just a, a, a thing, you know, she wasn't offended, it's no, it's no big deal. But actually, the fact that this is symptomatic 
of fundamentally deeply entrenched sexism, misogyny, even in society. You know, I think things are changing. I think things are changing. I didn't know that about Adam Sandler and Claire, Claire Foy, and now I just feel a bit sick. <laughs> Moving on, though, into to, to, to other issues, um, sort of more fundamental territory, I suppose, both for us. Since we were last uh, with you, the latest set of stats on pay, gender-related pay stats from the Office of National Statistics have come out. Pay gap is narrowing. Um, now down to only 10%. Women only, oh. on average, women only get paid 10% less than men. Lovely, uh, I'm you know, so pleased. So, so <laughs> you know, but it just shows the scale of the, uh, uh, of the work that's still, still to be done. And I think it's reassuring that people have picked this up and said, said Look, we've got to do something about this. This is not acceptable. We can't just wait forever and ever and ever for pay to catch up if it, if it ever will. Well, I think it, it, in a weird... Well, not even in a weird way. I think it is part of that systemic uh, experience and the systemic way in which women are treated at work so it kind of leads into the thing we've just been talking about you know if you think it's perfectly acceptable to put your hand on your female colleague's uh, knee or any colleague's knee while you're in a workplace scenario the question then is what happens with pay like how do you actually view that person you view them as your equal and if you kind of feel that it's appropriate Simon's kind of like considering what I'm saying but if you feel it's appropriate to behave in that kind of way I think stuff to do with how you are then rewarded at work does have a kind of a knock-on because ultimately what it's about is do you do I see you as my kind of equal and as somebody who should be you know paid uh, equally and treated equally to me uh, absolutely I mean there are fundamental issues about dignity respect uh, uh, and and the values that that, that that go with them one so one of the things then that comes out of this is uh, the gender pay gap and what that means and how that kind of operates in the world of work. And I'm really pleased that uh, we're starting this conversation now at Unions 21 with uh, maybe six months left before the deadline to report for employers and also unions, I think. Well, Becky, we've just had a Women's Network special meeting on the gender pay gap, I think. We, haven't, haven't we have we? indeed. Well, what's, what's the role of the Women's Network? Why the gender pay gap as a subject this time around? So there was, there's two things really to unpack with that. First one, why do we have the Women's Network at Unions 21? And then why did we think that the gender pay gap was something to have as a topic for it? In terms of our uh, role in organising the Women's Network breakfast, uh, quite a lot of our... Uh, unions came forward and said they wanted a space for women trade unionists to meet and talk about some of the things that they're addressing as women within the movement. I think it's in terms of my experience of being a, a young woman and a woman in the in the union movement, by and large it's it's a fantastic movement to be a part of. But there are occasions where especially uh, you get to certain ages and things like that where you realise there are fewer and fewer women in the room. And we wanted to just look at how can we address this, what kind of uh, culture changes or even structural changes do unions need to address in order to continue to still encourage women to be uh, active members of their union. We uh, hit on the gender pay gap as an issue for, or as a discussion topic for this uh, network because 
it's something that's gonna that's affecting quite a lot of unions in terms of themselves as employers but also in terms of uh, union staff having to address some of these um, issues and we wanted to hear from Philippa and ACAS in terms of some of the things they've been picking up on and, and just to hear a bit more about how w- what we could do that maybe we haven't thought about before. Which is a great link into an introduction to our special guest for this podcast, Philippa Newis, who's the senior conciliator, I think is your, your title at ACAS. I'm yes. senior advisor, yes. part of the ACAS London team. Wonderful. And you're, you have a particular expertise, of course, in, in, in gender pay, as, as Becky suggested. What what are the main themes, what are the main trends that we're seeing at, at, at the moment? Should we be optimistic that actually the pace towards gender pay equality is quickening or are there still some fundamental issues, structural issues uh, to, to deal with in your view? Well, we're really early days with the gender pay reporting. So the um, regulations uh, were enacted in April and we're in the first year of employers having to measure their gender pay gap and report on their gender pay gap, and they have a year to do that. Um, A really common misconception, both, I think, with employers, to some degree uh, with employees and trade union members, is feeling a bit confused about the difference between equal pay and gender pay reporting. Now, both issues have a shared history, going back to uh, thinking about the Ford-Dagenham strike in the 1960s and the first set of equal pay legislation in 1970. They share a history, but they are different things. So um, gender pay reporting is when an organisation looks at the average pay of men as a group against the average pay of women as a group within an organisation. So we're talking about averages and averages with a group. Now this is different to equal pay, which is around getting men and women getting paid the same amount of money for light work, work of equivalent value and work of equal value. So they're two different things, two different sets of legislation. But when we hear about it talked about, we hear about gender pay in the media, often those two concepts and language are used interchangeably and that gives rise to confusion. So just because an organisation may have a gender pay gap, and most organisations will, it doesn't mean that that organisation or that employer is paying men and women unequally. I get the, I, I get the distinction. And, and uh, I, I imagine even though there's scope for confusion, actually, best case scenario is these will be mutually supportive pieces, pieces of legislation if they can be used in, in the right way, if, they, if the ducks can be lined up, uh, as it were. What, so when we get the, the, the annual reports published, what happens if people default and, and organisations do not publish? Okay. Within the regulations, uh, the Equality and Human Rights Commission do have powers to enforce an employer who doesn't comply and doesn't uh, publish their gender pay gap results. So actually one of the things that's really interesting that Philippa brought up uh, this morning was uh, how many have already employers have already reported? So I know the answer, so I'm going to ask you. So I'm going to see if you can guess. So there's eight thousand employers who have uh, more than two hundred and fifty employees. That covers eleven million people. How many do you think have already put in a return? How many put in a, re- a, a return? I would hazard around five percent. No, one hundred and sixty-three. 
So 163 employers out of 8,000 have already put in a, um, a report. And they've got till um, voluntary organisations and private sector employers have got till the 4th of April next year, Philippa, is that That's right? That's right. And uh, public sector employers have got to the 30th of March. So it's like, what, four days or five days in it? <laughs> is there any reason, do you know, for the five days difference? I'm not clear about the reason <laughs> for the five day difference, no. <laughs> Uh, a lot of our listeners will be union reps uh, or be interested in, in good work and good, good workplaces. What's the, what's, what can they look to ACAS for in terms of support and guidance and, 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 and progressing these issues and greater understanding and resolution of these issues? Hmm. So ACAS is an organisation that works with both employers and employees and trade unions to help resolve problems at work and improve workplaces. So what we've been doing over the last 18 months, uh, we have been running courses that people can come on and attend to help them understand the nuts and bolts of gender pay reporting. Um, The regulation sets out how to do the calculations. It's a little bit fiddly, it's a bit like GCSE maths. Um, And we've had both trade unions and um, employers come along and attend those courses. But what we do is we want to take people a bit further Uh, It's not just about understanding how to do the maths and and break down salaries into hourly rates and work out the difference with your bonus pay. It's thinking about what you do with those results and how you can take those results forward and take steps to reduce your gender pay gap in your workplaces. Now, the regulation requires publication. And that's where that set of regulations end. But as ACAS and thinking about best practice and thinking about improving employee relations in the workplace, we are encouraging employers to think about if you do have a gender pay gap, what can you do to better understand that? So the calculations will throw out a couple of figures at the end of it. But what's behind those figures? What's causing that gap to exist in the first place? Can they go away and do a little bit more work? Can they look at how their gender pay gap is intersecting with other protected characteristics such as age or race? So we know from uh, research from the ONS that um, the gender pay gap between men and women in their 20s is almost non-existent. It's very, very small. But when um, women get into their 30s, that's when the gender pay gap first appears. And once there's a gender pay gap, it's very stubborn and it's very difficult to close. Is that linked to maternity issues? It's linked to maternity issues. It's also linked to that generation. We often call them the sandwich generation of women. So women who are raising children, but then also they are looking after elderly relatives as well. So... Thinking about that as a protected characteristic, also thinking about race as a protected characteristic and how race is intersecting with uh, gender pay issues. But it's getting employers to think about the demographic of their workforce, looking at protected characteristics, perhaps looking at other processes, so thinking about how do they recruit, how do men and women progress within an organisation, how are they retaining women in work and supporting women to progress all those kind of issues but for every employer those issues are going to look different so I think where trade unions really add value is when you know the employers that you work with you know the business you know your membership and you can come in and you can walk alongside and work jointly with those employers to do a little bit of that digging and investigating and understanding why they've got the gap that they've got.
Is it is it fair or accurate to say that therefore ACAS's role is largely about providing reassurance and comfort and signposting for people who are perhaps a bit discombobulated, uh, not mm. quite clear what their obligations are, not don't quite see the value of this sort of transparency? I think we absolutely have a role around awareness raising. And, and I deal with a lot of sometimes very specific queries from employers about how to do the calculation or, or how do we understand our results, what can we think about doing next. We run training courses, but we can also work alongside employers as well in, in a more bespoke capacity to support them to look at their results. Mm. But for me, it's about supporting them to engage with their workforce about their results. So even if you have a result that you're worried about or you come out with a big gender pay gap it's about how you communicate that with your with your employees how you're going to work with trade unions or um, other types of employee forums to think through what those issues are and what steps you could take so for ACAS it's about supporting employers to understand their obligations under the regulations but encouraging employers to take a few extra steps to understand why they've got the gap and to think about what they could do and what action they could take to reduce that gap over time. Wow, that's, uh, that's a, a very important role to play. I, I just think, if we were to scroll forward a year to 18 months and you were reviewing with satisfaction what has happened in this, in this area between, say, now and, and, and where are we, where are we now in, in Easter 2019, say, what would success look like to you? Would it, would it be more information? Would it be a narrowing of the pay gap? Would it be some other measure? I think for me, what I would like to see is employers going above and beyond what the regulations stipulate. So above and beyond publication, looking towards taking steps and actions. I think it's going to take more than 18 months to see a reduction in gender pay. Um, it's going to take time because you're often dealing with structures and processes in organisations. You're changing cultures in organisations and that takes time. And I think that's sometimes a, a bit of a hard sell in terms of you can't see a quick win yeah, it's on not this. Quick, it's not a quick fix solution, is it? It's, it's something that you have to, it's almost like planting seeds yeah. and maintaining it and then you know hoping that you'll get some like saplings yeah not even the trees the other thing i'd love to see as well is employers feeling that they can talk about what the issues are and talk about what they're doing because when employers come to acas they often say to me well what are other people doing what can i do to fix this and people and employers are really craving examples of the sorts of things that they could try this stuff doesn't have to be high cost there's a lot of interventions that can be low cost or no cost to an organization it doesn't mean that you have to do an equal pay audit but i think something else that trade unions can bring to their employers and bring to the table is you have a vast network of officers out there working with employers that can bring back those ideas and those anecdotes and those examples that help employers get their hands on the problem and think about the solution. Because you don't want employers to feel paralysed. And a role that trade unions can have as a critical friend is to say, actually, there was this organisation that tried this, and they did this very successfully. So bringing in those mm. examples, giving employers 
tangible ideas about how they can close their gender pay gap. Which I think if you think about it, we can do that without worrying about business sensitive information. You know, we, we can talk in the general, we can say, well, I've dealt with X organisation and we don't have to kind of you know name it and we can give a bit more kind of background and a bit more um, ideas with it. All. I, I think this is really important for unions to think not just for themselves, whether they're undertaking the um, review and whether they're doing that. And there will be unions that will will be counted amongst those 8,000 employers, Um, but also in terms of what our strategies are industrially around this and sectorally around this, you know, are we putting this within the... um, the list of things that we want in a in a sector so if you're in i'm looking at simon so i just went oh telecoms because you know i can't look at simon now and still not think of either postal or telecoms um but you know like in the telecom sector are we thinking industrially about how we're going to deal with the with the gender pay gap and what that means not only just in terms of employers but also industries as a whole and if are there kind of industrial solutions that we can come where unions and employers sit together and say you know what actually we we do have this problem because one of the things that came out of our discussion was employers will go oh it's a pipeline you know for example this is a pipeline issue we don't have as many women coming forward it's like right okay so what can we do industrially to encourage more women to be in this industry what can we do more as an industry to encourage flexible working and to uh, look at different types of roles and how we do that and, and what needs to happen. What really came out for me, which was very interesting, was, you know, it's not it. It's a it's something that affects every stage in somebody's working life mm-hmm. and every level skill level of somebody's working life. And the solutions to that problem might not be the same for every organisation, it might not be the same for every role either, but that's where we can come in as a critical friend to actually really try to mould and lead on this and, and, and do some, some really good work on it. But of course the, the, the landscape that we're operating in is not stable on that. I mean, I agree, I think that the, the roadmap that you've drawn for us and, and for our listeners who are active in their, their unions or, or, or employers as well is really helpful because... It shows how we collectively can get to a, a kind of better place in terms of uh, not just morally and ethically, uh, but but actually in terms of industrial efficiency and output mm-hmm. uh, and so on. But but of course, overarching this, there's stuff like the BBC gender pay gap, where the newspapers this week are full of the fact that the tribunal is being prepared uh, by by women who believe they're being unfairly, unlawfully paid less than their male male counterparts. There's a, a real, uh, there's such an energy that's been unleashed a, 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 about gender equality per se across the piece at, a, 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 at, the, at the moment. It will, you know, it's as ever things are never quite straightforward. But then also going back to the, the comment that, that Philip made at the beginning, it's also understanding the difference between gender pay gap and sure. equal pay gap as well. And us actually kind of really trying to unpick some of those things and understand whether this is an equal pay issue or a gender pay issue or an equal pay and a gender pay issue. And it could be both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It could be both. And it also could be, yeah, a whole whole raft of things. But So, I mean, I think that, I mean... If nothing else, understanding that difference and how to respond to that, how to get the mm. how to get the most, which how to ride each horse and to make sure you're riding the right one in the right way, I suppose is, is most mostly important. But also, don't scare the horses. Don't scare. <laughs> don't, don't scare your employers that you are that you are working with, um, because some employers are 
are nervous. Some employers are more are more confident. Some employers have a hugely complex set of pay to deal with. So you have some employers who will have um, freelance contractors, maybe contracting at quite a high salary. They'll have their permanent paid employees. They may mm. also have employees on an hourly rate, on flexible hours contracts. And they have to bring that into a mix and come up with one figure um, for gender pay reporting. So some employers have a hugely complex pay landscape that they are trying to deal with um, and trying to deal with within the regulations, trying to deal with fairly and efficiently. Um, so for some employers, this is quite a mountain to climb just in terms of getting their ducks in a row in terms of actually doing the calculation. And they will be breathing a big sigh of relief just to have got that bit done. Well, as ever, we, we always seek to engage with employers on a solution-orientated uh, basis, and it sounds like that was never more important than on, a, uh, on this basis. Well, I, I mean, Philippa, thank you ever so much for spending time with us yeah. at the Women's Network, but also also on this podcast as well. And, and can I say, if anybody is um, interested in going on one of the courses that Philippa talked about, I would really recommend it, because even in the snapshot that we had in the last like hour, it really got me thinking about what we can do as unions and, and how we can move forward so it i go on the website i'm guessing is when you can you can um go philippa to go on one of the training courses that's that's right if you go on to acast.org.uk and search around our training and you should be be able to find our upcoming training courses and that's not just in london we happen to be in london today but we have gender pay reporting courses all across the country and england um england scotland and wales yeah so there's no excuse to not go Okay, right. And now, but just before we, before we go, there is something I must ask you, Philippa, and you know I'm going to ask you this because of your because listeners Philippa has a great expertise and knowledge about dance. So the question that so I imagine is on most people's lips at the moment is, who's going to win Strictly? Oh, now you see. The question is, who's going to win in my heart, and who is going to win in my head? So in my heart, Susan Kalman, all the way. I'm so team Kalman brilliant uh, in my head I think we're going to have a final with um, Alexandra Burke and Aston that's who I think the side final is going to be with there you think. are listeners you heard it there here, you go. Uh, you heard it here but Susan Cowman all the way <laughs> all the way to Blackpool Susan come on you okay. can do it so can, let's, let's make Susan Cowman the official Strictly uh, contestant of the of the podcast <laughs> that's it we're gonna we're gonna push her now let's do it Simon. okay we'll do it <laughs> thank you very much indeed thank you well one of the great things about Unions 21 is we do have the chance to work with uh, people of the knowledge experience and caliber of, of Philippa but of course that's just one side of the the story in terms of legal work done by unions on behalf of our members to uh, to address uh, illegal unfair practices and we are going to prepare a podcast uh, hopefully for broadcast in the next couple of month, uh, months about the legal work of, of unions because we think there's a really good story to be to be told there and if you are aware of any particular legal successes uh, that your union has had, please do let us know uh, at info at unionistry1.org.uk because uh, we're all for user-generated content on the podcast as well as on our website. 
so having just had that very successful uh, women's network uh, breakfast, uh, that you may be wondering how you can get involved in the women's network, uh, which is open to uh, to all women or those who identify as a woman. Uh, if you email your details to info at unions21.org.uk, uh, then uh, Becky uh, and the team will be able to uh, respond to your inquiries. Looking ahead, it's going to continue to be a busy autumn for us here at Unions 21. Uh, we've got a couple of events coming up that you may be interested in. On the 15th of November, we've got a workshop uh, with political and cops consultants Interrail called Navigating the New Political Terrain. Couldn't be more topical, could it? Uh, in the sense that the terrain is... Um, shall we say unstable at the moment uh, but that's on the 15th of November uh, if you want to be there and, and, and participate in the discussion and then on the 30th of November we have our masterclass on getting workplace ready for Brexit uh, we launched our Brexit toolkit back, back in September and this is uh, this is a good follow-up exercise for people who are interested uh, in how they can make sure that their union and their members are ready uh, for Brexit. Uh, you don't have to have been to the workshop in September to come along to this one and get a lot out of it. Uh, details of both events and how to apply for them are at our website, www.unions21.org.uk. As we get to the end of this podcast, on behalf of Becky and myself, thanks ever so much for joining us. We've uh, loved having your company. Please do email us. Let us know about your ideas, your views, whether the podcast has been good or bad, what subjects we should cover in the future. We would love to have you as part of the discussion uh, with us on on this. We'll be back with another podcast in a couple of weeks or so. But in the meantime, from Becky and myself, thanks ever so much, ever so much for listening. And goodbye. Unions 21 podcast was presented by Simon Sapper and Becky Wright. It was a Makes You Think production.